This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spa in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on the Goop list, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Don't hold anything too tightly. Just wish for it, want it, let it come from the intention of real truth for you, and then let it go. For me, our soul is like, it's unbound, it's limitless, but we will use words to limit ourselves. When people stop believing that somebody's got your back or Superman's coming, we turn to ourselves and that's where you become empowered. Courageous participation attracts positive things. I'm Gwyneth Paltrow. This is the Goop Podcast, bringing together thought leaders, culture changers, creatives, founders and CEOs, scientists, doctors, healers and seekers, here to start conversations, because simply asking questions and listening has the power to change the way we see the world. Today is no exception. I'll let Elise fill you in on her extraordinary guest. All right, over to Elise. Lisa Tadeo is a writer and journalist and the author of an amazing new book, Three Women. It's fascinating and incredible on every level. Lisa ingrained herself in the lives of three women located in three different places in the country, observing them over the course of 10 years, reporting on their sex lives. The book itself reads like a novel, but it's a true life account and an honest, raw exploration of sex and desire. Lisa and I talk about the making of this incredible book, the truth of desire, where it's born from in women and why it can be so complicated, and how it is often influenced by trauma. We talk about the beautiful and quite haunting stories of each of the women in the book. So I just tried to find relatability in every story that I looked at. And I think the honesty of these women is the most relatable aspect because you want, you know, you feel that honesty in yourself and you watch somebody else doing it and you're like, oh, again, it's just powerful. One other thing, sorry if you hear a tiny bit of background noise. It could be a passing car or even plants playing music because we hosted in Goop Health outside at the awesome Rolling Greens in downtown LA. And yes, we listened to plants composing music, which is the thing. And it was a very goopy scene. Let's cut to my chat with Lisa Tadeo. This is my fourth galley because people keep absconding with them at the office. It just disappears. And it is... I picked it up on a plane ride and was, it was the most riveting plane ride. I cried. It reads like a novel. It's a story of, and I'm not giving anything away, the story <laughs> of three women. <laughs> and Lisa embedded herself in communities across the country for 10 years mm-hmm. and got to know these women and then told the story of their sex lives. And 
It is stunning, just because you guys haven't had a chance to read it to give full context. So Lena is in Indiana. Lena is a housewife in suburban Indiana who, when I met her in this sort of discussion group in rural Indiana, her husband had just told her he didn't want to kiss her on the mouth anymore. He said that the sensation offended him. And so she had just started reconnecting with her high school boyfriend on Facebook. And she was starting an affair, like, the day that I met her. So it was a rather organic meshing of, of just, like, getting a beautiful story. And the second woman, Maggie, as a high schooler, had an alleged sexual relationship with her high school English teacher. And then when he was named North Dakota's Teacher of the Year, she took... She, you know, took it, it went to trial and it upended their community in Fargo, North Dakota. And then the third woman, Sloan, is an entrepreneur in the Northeast in a very exclusive enclave, Newport, actually. And she, her husband likes to watch her have sex with other men and women, either in front of him or she, like, tapes it and shows it to him later. It is fascinating. <laughs> and I just want to say that I hope Maggie's I hope this comes back in his face so hard. I had to Google it. Yeah. <laughs> stare at pictures of him, fake punch him in the face because her story is so hard and yet so uncommon. Backstage we were talking and I was like, which, which of these women did you enjoy? Like who, so maybe you can share, but like who did you not yeah. even relate to? But Well, so Lena was the first one. It was so seamless the way that she you know like told me her story she came from a very catholic community and like nobody she had no friends to talk to about it so I was sort of this in between a friend and a therapist and someone who also that she didn't have to pay and someone who also didn't know anybody that you know at the time that she knew so it was kind of a really it was just great and she was also so raw and honest and in touch with her, like what she wants as a human being, that even though she's kind of from the most restricted place and restrictive, she's also the most, I think, the most in touch with just her own sexuality. And, you know, I think that there's nothing more feminist in a way than being totally true to your desire. Yeah. I thought that it was amazing, too, that her ability to be attached to it, considering that she had a very traumatic yeah. high school, yeah. which I don't think her story is unusual in this. She had sort of this essentially a gang rape experience. Yeah. And then it was a gang. It was three guys had drugged her and raped her one after the other. And she kind of metabolized it as a. Well, the next day, everyone just heard the rumors that she had sex with three guys in one night. And she kind of let that be the room, you know, that be the sort of fact of it because it was less horrifying, obviously, than saying, you know, it was like better to be considered, you know, promiscuous than to be considered like, you know, a victim of something violent. And when we talked about it, she said, you know, I didn't get a disease from it or get pregnant. So, you know, whatever, it didn't really leave a mark. And then as we talked a little bit more and like six months later, she was like, you know, Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, if I had to be honest, I think that's the sort of experience that left a mark on who I was for the rest of my life. Yeah. And it's interesting that she chose a marriage of sexlessness and lack of passion and then mm -hmm. was trying to express herself through this old fantasy. Yeah, totally. 
I don't want to give too much away. <laughs> Maggie, too, is there was that moment, which I'll butcher, but when you, when she was getting thrashed for even coming forward yeah. about this teacher who would fill, he wrote, was it Twilight? Yeah. Twilight. Twilight. He like filled Twilight with post it notes that express, and they never had sex. No. I mean, so he performed oral sex on her, and they just did a lot of you know, hand stuff and making out in cars. So that was what, when I read about the trial, that was what kind of drew me to it, was the idea that they'd never had actual intercourse. He was making them wait until she was 18. And he wrote in, like, her Twilight book, which was her favorite book, she was, like, obsessed with the story of vampire lovers. And her teacher was like, I'm your vampire lover. Mm. You know, and, like, the sort of, like, doing that to someone, like... You know, if, like, when I was a kid watching The Princess Bride and somebody told me that they were my Wesley, like, I would be like, <laughs> you know, oh, my God. And I would think of that forever. And I think that that sort of, that happening to her at the sort of most formative time with a teacher is just, like, you know. And she came, she had a, not troubled home, but she had some issues, like, you know, we all do an angst, you know. And for someone who she really looked up to to say, like, you know, you're, you're valuable because I, you know, like you. And I, you know, we have this passionate thing. And I mean, he would just read her like Neruda poems and like just mm -hmm. all this stuff. And to do that, I think, is almost more damaging than intercourse would have been, for example. Because that, exactly. yeah. Yeah, the romancing. Yeah, totally. Teasing out of desire. And there's this You'll have to correct me, but that moment when they're trying to groom her for the trial to make her seem, I think, probably more virginal, and they want her to cut her, she has these incredibly long nails, and she says, essentially, I, can't, I don't, if I have short nails, then I can pluck out my eyelashes, mm -hmm. and I just, yeah, I like, know, I know. Ugh. I know. Has she, where is she? And she's has she really doing great now? She is a social worker. She's doing fun. I mean, the thing I hope the most that if this book does anything, I mean, obviously my fear is that it would do anything negative to any of the women. And my hope is that it would, you know, beyond being positive for people who've had similar damaging experiences, that it would also just be, you know, helpful to the women and seeing like the way that they have helped people. And a lot of people have said, particularly about Maggie's story, that they had similar things happen and it just made them feel, you know, unalone the way any of telling any story does. Yeah. I hope this isn't too excruciating, but I want to read a small <laughs> passage. Okay. <laughs> it's the nuances of desire that hold the truth of who we are at our rawest moments. I set out to register the heat and sting of female want so that men and other women might more easily comprehend before they condemn because it's the quotidian minutes of our lives that will go on forever that will tell us who we are, who we were who our neighbors and our mothers were when we were too diligent in thinking they were nothing like us. This is a story of three women. It gives me chills. <laughs> Thank you. I hope that this is a book club book. I hope that this is a book that women discuss with their friends because I think that you've tapped into sort of the secret life, right? Yeah. This, yeah. Like, was that the impetus or goal? I mean, it didn't start out like that, but was I did more reporting. It just felt like I just wanted to find like honest stories. And it's really hard when you're talking about sex and desire. As I found with talking to men, there was just a ton of ego involved and like, you know, and some just light lying, but not like, 
<laughs> not even lying to me, just lying to themselves. And certainly not all men were like that, but with women and particularly these three women, it was just, it was astounding the way that they were able to just tap into their desire and then be honest about it. Yeah, I just got, I just wanted to, to get at the nuance of stuff because at the end of the day, you know, like with Maggie, she never like stopped liking him in a way. No. And so that's, I mean, now, you know, there's like a hate and an anger, but there's also this like, you know, at the end of the day, like it was, it was just, it was this amazing experience in her life. And I think that's true for a lot of the experiences that we all have, like even if they're kind of bad or if they were passionate, we sort of remember them. It is honest and it's also unfortunate too, yeah. because I feel like they all experience some form of trauma from molestation mm. to rape to, but, but I think it also in this Me Too culture, and like the book is incredibly well-timed because I think there has been this revelation and recognition among women that it's very rare to meet someone who was not traumatized. Yeah, really, it was super rare. So it's, yeah. inter it's like an interesting through line mm -hmm. of both how that manifests in these women's lives and how common it is. Because mm -hmm. it's easy to see yourself in them. And, and I know you originally were going to talk, were right about men, and then you switched. And is yeah. that because there's less romance? Um, yeah, it, it is. And I wasn't going to, I just was, I was thinking I was going to do, the original idea was to do a family with either mm -hmm. like a mom and a dad or two moms or, and two kids of like, you know, 18 or over. So it wouldn't be like creepy if I talked to them about sex. <laughs> But yeah, and I just, you know, and then I started talking to men and women, but with the men, yeah, it was less about romance. It was more about the conquest of it. And I, I the con and there's women who was, who were conquesting. I wasn't interested in the conquest. I was interested in like, you know, when it was sort of like this, you know, when it was something you couldn't control. I think those are the feelings that are kind of, I don't know, they're just really powerful. I know Esther Perel is a fan of the book too. Oh, and it was really cool. I think when she, when she talks about desire, it seems to very much resonate with what's in here too, yeah. which is that women, it's the feeling of being desired and that external factor and approval. Yeah. Whereas men, the turn on yeah. is being the turn on. Totally. Right? Yeah. yeah. And there's another part where you write at the beginning, the way the wind blows in our country can make us question who we are in our own lives. Often the type of waiting women do is to make sure other women approve so that they may also approve of themselves which I thought was so powerful and so confusing in this context yeah. of desire. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing that I started to realize about, you know, like everyone kind of talks about daddy issues. You don't really hear mommy issues. But I feel like it's, you know, sort of the way that our mothers have impressed upon us that is more, it's just more, it's just more trenchant and vivid than what, I mean, obviously it's different for everybody, but I found that with these women, like Sloane cared about what other women thought, you know, Maggie, Maggie cared what other, about what other women, thought. they all, and Lena certainly, they all, it was all about how women saw them in the community. They wanted men to like want them, but they wanted other women to like them. Yeah. So, yeah. But they all seem to be isolated figures in their own way. Yes. Yes. And also all kind of like Sloan was like people like there were rumors the first rumor I heard about Sloan was not even like the sort of swinging which I wouldn't even call it swinging but it wasn't you know what she and her husband did with other people so much as someone said to me they have sex 
every day. Can you believe that? <laughs> and it was like this shocked, like, you know, like, can, like, why would she even do that? That's despicable. Like, why is she like, so it's that kind of a, you know, an, a, the, a, the aberration of something like that in a community of women. It's like, you can't be a parent because then you're right. not a woman in a way. But I think that that even speaks to a bigger social idea, which is that we're all, we all are asking are, am I normal? Yeah. Are we normal? I mean, that's what every therapist says is the most frequent question. Yeah. Like, do we have, like, do I have sex with my husband as much as everyone else? <laughs> yeah, is, it more? Totally. is it less? What's normal? Uh-huh. What's healthy? And so I think we, it's a, such a strange, you're in your own desire, yeah. hopefully, yeah. and yet you're looking to outside factors to determine. Totally. And so I think it's interesting that they were isolated yeah. and able to have these almost aberrant experiences. Yeah. I use quotes there. And in isolation from their friends. Yeah. And what was interesting about Sloan was that she read Fifty Shades of Grey. And she was like, look, I, you know, it, was, it wasn't the kind of book that I thought I would read, but I read it. And then I went and got the other two in the trilogy. And I just sat in this window seat and just read all of them, like in like a couple of hours and she like didn't do anything else. And she's like, it just made me feel like I was normal. Like there was like, you know, it was just like, and all these women that she knew were like all of a sudden like leaving riding crops on the bed, like hoping (laughs) their husbands or whom their partners would do something with them. And for her, she finally felt like she was, you know, not this, you know, people were talking about Fifty Shades of Grey, like it was cool. And so she felt okay. Yeah. About herself. That's interesting. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners. This year, we launched a new Goop travel series called The Goop List. I wanted a way to share annually what I found to be the best of the best, from my favorite places to stay in Italy to a truly special spot in Costa Rica. If you are inspired to travel more this year, perhaps because you perused our recommendations on The Goop List, hosting on Airbnb is excellent for people who frequently travel. The beauty of hosting on Airbnb is that while you're away, someone else can get as much joy from your home as you do. Alongside frequent travelers, Airbnb is also great for those who have extra space or an in-law suite that isn't always being used. If you've stayed at an Airbnb before, you know the unique experience it offers. Now you can share that same experience with others while earning some extra income. To learn more about hosting on Airbnb, head to airbnb.com slash host. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. Okay, let's take a quick break. So clearly I'm biased, but the Goop podcast is one of the most rewarding projects that I've ever worked on at Goop, or really anywhere. I love the conversations I get to have here with so many incredible thought leaders. Pretty much ever since we launched the Goop podcast last March, we've been dreaming up other podcast series that we'd want to listen to and share with you guys. And I'm super excited about what we came up with. Our first series to follow the Goop podcast is called Goop Fellas. It's hosted by, yes, you guessed it, two men. Will Cole is a functional medicine practitioner and Seamus Mullen is a chef. They've both become good friends of mine and part of the Goop family. You might have heard them both on this podcast before. Like me, and many of you, I'm sure, Will and Seamus are really interested in what drives people to change, to heal, to reinvent themselves, to reclaim their health, 
or bounce back from a heartbreak. Seamus himself almost died from rheumatoid arthritis, and Will's day job is helping people uncover and overturn the roots of disease. In other words, they are intimately familiar with unlikely personal transformations. On Goop Fellas, Will and Seamus sit down with people who have incredible stories about confronting life challenges. It's our hope that these conversations will appeal to men, because I don't think there is enough space in our culture for men to be vulnerable. But this is also a series for women, and for that matter, for anyone who is looking to bring about change in their life, big or small. You can listen to Goop Fellas on your favorite podcast platforms. We've just launched the first season, and we'll be dropping new episodes on Wednesdays. Subscribe to keep up. And to learn more, head to goop.com slash goopfellas. I hope you love Will, Seamus, and this series as much as I do. Break's over. Let's get back to today's chat. I know you started this book a decade ago, and you've since had a daughter. Yes. I know it must have changed you in some way, but how did it change you? And does it affect how you parent? And I know you have nothing to compare it to. Well, I'm kind of insane when it comes to that. Like, I'm, like, vicious about... A little boy told her the other day that only boys could be ninjas. So, like, I got out (laughs) Kill Bill, like, on my phone, and I showed her, like, Uma Thurman just slashing people. That's great. (laughs) Excellent parenting. So that's kind of how I... um, So that's what it's done to me. Yeah, I think I I was telling you before, I just never... Whether she's into guys or girls or whatever, I just never want her to sit at home waiting for a phone call. Not that, you know, maybe we'll go back to, like, landlines. I don't know. But, you know, I just never want her to wait for anybody that isn't herself. Oh, I love that. I think reminds me too, this was a hard lesson from my dad, but one that I internalized. (laughs) He told me a story about, he was a handsome South African doctor. Oh, wow. The Mayo Clinic. And (laughs) he was dating a girl, a, a nurse, and he was supposed to call her apparently one weekend and he didn't. And then that Monday, I think she slapped him, made a, she was like, never call me again. And he was so surprised because he had forgotten. And he was like, I'm telling you this story because if a man is thinking about you, he will call you. Right. And I never, same thing. Yeah. I don't want you to spend your life thinking that he's buried alive with his phone. Yeah. Which was harsh. But true. Yeah. It served me well. Yeah. I think it's a good lesson. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, like that, it's hard because, you know, you look at that stuff and it still feels like it's putting some sort of sanctity on the man's desire, right? Yeah. But like, you know, when like he's just not that into you came out, I was like, this is, you know, I mean, like I think that it revelatory. It was really revelatory. And... It's like I said, it's like tough because it's still like, oh, well, you know, it's on him, but it, it's not really. It, it's the biological aspect of it. So once we learn that, we can just, just like sort of take it to, a, yeah. you know, just kind of like having a handicap in golf. Totally. And it's, it's, a, it's true. There is, a bi- there is something biological about it. Yet at the same time, it's like, how do you parse out yeah. desire and so that women can own it? Yes. And express it right and do the work of reconciliation right. around trauma so they're not they're, they're expressing it in a way that feels powerful to right. them yeah. like lena is so interesting to me because she is so raw in her sexuality and very powerful this is the housewife in indiana and yet i don't want to give too much away but like it's not like the her affair is particularly fulfilling no and you know it's really difficult cuz she's chasing him in a way 
um, not in a way, a lot. And he's kind of seeing her when it's convenient. And so that's, that's difficult. But what somebody said to me, which is how I felt about her too, which I really loved, is she was like, I felt like Lena had so much agency. Because at the end of the day, she's like going to where he is, but it's because she wants to do it. She's not afraid to do it. She was like pulling babysitters out of hats, like yeah. in rural Indiana. And she's like switching cars. You know, there's that like moment where she's just like focused on doing it. And I think, you know, like if that's what you want to do, like at the same time as understanding what your dad said to you, which is totally on point, but like just kind of like, like you said, like just you're sort of weighing your desire against what you know about the female and the male species, genders, you know. So... And then in your, so your experience, and, and I know you make a very specific point, like this, you are telling this from the perspective of these women and these women only. How much in your work were you evaluating the perspective of the men? You know, not, not that much, because at the end of the day, like it wasn't, we hear so much from the male perspective and it's been happening for centuries. I tried to do it as 360 degree as possible while still not leaving their brains. When it came to Maggie, the young woman who had the alleged affair with her teacher, you know, I didn't want to demonize him because I don't, he wasn't like, you know, it was like in between grooming and falling in love, but he also was falling in love with like his high school self, the way that like Tiger Woods did, for example. So I just wanted to show the whole, why, like, you know, Maggie didn't fall for a demon. She fell for this man who was courting and grooming her at the same time when she was a young woman. Yeah. I found the most, my anger, I was very angry at Aaron, is that his mm-hmm. name? But I was also very angry at his wife. Right. Yeah. And, and that's really tough because his wife, some people told me off the record who were in, you know, a sort of part of the trial, was that they were absolutely positive that she, you know, perjured herself, et cetera. But at the same time, it's like, you know, you have three kids at home. Are you going to send their father to jail? And that's like a difficult question. You know, it's a moral question, but it's also a sort of human question. And I think that that's, but yeah, I felt the same way. I was like watching that. I was like, oh my God. And then, you know, there's this, there's a part where there's like a, a protest going on. I don't know if this is like, but did you see that picture where like there's a protest going on and Maggie is protesting, and then there's a counter-protest going on that all the young women in the high school are, like, on his side. Like, literally all of them. And Maggie is just standing there with her brother. And it was awful. So the teacher drove by the counter-protest with his wife, his kids in the back of the car, and this little dog pressed, like, up between his chest and the steering wheel, and he's got this, like, crazy smile on his face. His wife is, like, hooting out the window, and it's just this shocking image, and it's, like, whether you did it or didn't, like, why would you do that? You know, it's, like, a despicable thing to do. Yeah. Culturally, I think it'll be fascinating to see how this book lands. Yeah. And how I think it'll be (laughs) massive, just so you know. I hope you're ready. (laughs) But how... Whether people find it triggering, yeah. whether they find it not comforting, but whether they feel seen in its pages, yeah. but you think about the protests. Yeah. There's so much anger. I mean, the idea of high school girls in protection of a teacher mm-hmm. protesting another high school girl's experience. Yeah, totally. And what happened also to Lena in yeah. being branded a slutty whore. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen? 
I don't know. You know, I mean, I certainly we didn't know what was going to happen a couple of years ago. <laughs> in the country. Yeah. I think that I started writing the book and I almost finished it pre the Me Too movement. So I think, you know, I think the Me Too movement have has will sort of have an effect on, you know, I think it'll be sort of easier for people. I just think there's like a more of a natural being more receptive to stuff. So I, I hope that that, you know, I don't know. I'm sure it'll be polarizing. Yeah. So Maggie's doing well. What happened to Lena? Lena is doing well. She's kind. She's in a new relationship, and she's so separated. She got a divorce. Separated. Wow. Yeah, basically. So, so yeah. So she went through with it, and I thought that was remarkable too. That she was like, if he doesn't kiss me or touch me in the next thirty days, I'm leaving. And like she did it, and that's like you know that's a lot. But it's also like she set a goal and she stuck to it. And I think a lot of the stuff that we go through with relationships is very cyclical. And we kind of like often repeat the same mistakes, obviously. And Sloane is great. I mean, she was like the most, she's just this very striking woman to begin with. Like she's just, and she's very in charge of herself. And I think a lot of people were like, oh, you know, and like, but it works for them, you know, yeah. and I think that that's really important. And so, you know, she was definitely the, ha- the happiest in a sense of, of the three and the most assured and comfortable with her sexuality. But it's about, with Sloane, it was about how other people see yeah. her. And, did, and so you felt from her, Sloane is the one whose husband likes to watch her have sex with other people. And so you felt like that truly was fulfillment for her. Yeah, I mean, you know, the way she sort of put it to me was like, she'll like look in the mirror and... She'll be like, oh, my God, like, I look so tired and old. And her husband will come up behind her and be like, you know, you're the most beautiful woman. You're my fantasy. And that's like, you know, that's a really powerful thing to say. So she always feels completely actualized. She feels totally loved by him at all times. And she's like, you know what? So he wants to watch me, like, do that. So fuck it. Fine, I'll do it. You know, that's kind of like her. So she doesn't love it, but she also, he does. So did you... Did you relate to any of them? Is that too personal? No, I mean, all of them. I feel like, like literally all of them. There were so many points. Probably with Lena the most. She was just so honest about stuff that, and I think I I said this a lot, but there was a friend of mine in New York after I'd moved to Indiana. She's like, what the fuck are you doing in Indiana? And I was like, I don't know. But I was talking about Lena and I'm like, I met this woman who I think I want to be a sort of main subject. And I told her the story. She's like chasing after this guy and like doing anything she can to see him. And my friend was like, that's so pathetic. And I was like, that's not. You do the same thing with like a broker like last year. Another friend saw, thought that like, you know, I was like talking to a group of swingers in Cleveland. She was like, ew, gross. But then when I told her about Sloan, it was like more relatable. So I just tried to find relatability in every story that I looked at. And I think the honesty of these women is the most relatable aspect because you want, you know, you feel that honesty in yourself and you watch somebody else doing it and you're like, oh, again, it's just powerful, I think. Yeah. Thanks for listening to my chat with Lisa Tadeo. For more, go to lisatadeo.com. That's T-A-D-D-E-O. And I highly, highly recommend reading her book, Three Women. And then find me on Instagram at Elise Lunen so we can talk about it. That's it for today's episode. If you have a chance, please rate and review. Hit subscribe to keep up with new episodes and pass it along to a friend who might need to listen. Thanks again for joining. I hope you'll come back this Thursday for more. And in the meantime, 
You can check out goop.com slash the podcast for more.